Hi there, you're listening to the Learned Opportunity Podcast, helping emerging leaders get unstuck so that they can start creating opportunities. I'm Daniel Eccles, and I've helped hundreds of emerging leaders as a certified career counselor and a personal and professional development nerd. I love sharing big ideas and stories of how emerging leaders like you have gone from feeling stuck to creating huge opportunities in their personal and professional lives. So join me as I talk to subject matter experts and other emerging leaders about opportunity creating best practices and repeatable actions that you can apply to your life today. Today's episode is with Connor Sweetman. And who's Connor? Well, he's the editor-in-chief and founder of Ecstasis Magazine, and also the creative lead for special projects at Christianity Today. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Connor, and his story is pretty inspirational to me as he's had the fortune of taking a passion project to a full-time role. Connor had a side gig creating his magazine called Ecstasis, and Ecstasis is made for creatives in order to revive the Christian imagination. Connor would spend weekends editing, writing, and curating creative inspiration for his magazine. At the same time, he was working at a nonprofit in their communication department, and then later at a financial company in their marketing department. And you probably have a passion project of your own, something that you would like to take full time or give more of your effort to. Now, Connor's story will be constructive for you as he talks to us about a couple of different things, helping the next generation of creatives thrive and create. And if you have a passion project, then that's you. You're a creative and this conversation will be really helpful for you as you try to come up with more ways to create and thrive. And Connor also talks about his journey of discovering who he really wanted to be, what he believes in other reflections on a time of deconstruction. He sets goals for his magazine in this conversation and tells me that if he didn't meet those goals, he would have been okay if his dream never came true of taking his magazine full time. And how would that be possible? You might have your own passion project or something you're working on and wondering, would I be okay if my dream never came true? Um, so I think you'll enjoy hearing from Connor about that. So make sure to follow Connor's work at Instagram. His page is Ecstasis Magazine on Instagram, or you can check it out at ecstasismagazine.com. I've already ordered uh, my physical copy of the magazine because I really enjoy having a physical copy of things. So check that out. And here's our conversation with Connor Sweetman. Well, Connor, I did a little bit of an introduction for you already. What I didn't say, though, is that we're, we're kind of cousins, so just oh, wow. very distant. But if I call you cuz a couple times in this, that's why, listener. <laughs> so, but Connor, what's, what's important for people to know about you? Introduce yourself to listeners. Yeah, aside from being a long-lost cousin, which is my defining characteristic, I am currently a creative lead and editor with Christianity Today. I work on their branch out magazine, literary and journalistic arts and culture kind of outfit called Ecstasis, which I founded about five or six years ago, and then recently 
got acquired by CT about a year and a half ago. So that's been a wonderful journey. But aside from that, I am the rare Canadian in the, in the circles I've started to be a part of lately. So I'm up in Toronto, Canada with my wife, Hannah. We've been married for three years now. And yeah, just loving kind of the bridging of the worlds that I've been passionate about for so long. And now I'm more in the actual employment world of that. So it's cool merging the passion with the real, real work life of that. So how did that all kind of get started? Take us from just this idea of ecstasis to how you got where you are today, which could be a long story. (laughs) I'll try to shorten it, but essentially it was birthed out of a time in university where I was kind of at the end of my studies. I had fallen in love with the literary and cultural world through my English degree, and I went on to do a master's as well in English. But during the tail end at Tyndale University here in Canada, I had just finished a semester abroad in Oxford on a Shakespeare intensive. It was wild and super enlightening and and just kind of spurred a lot of what had been foundationalized throughout those four years. But then at the same time, I had gone through a little bit of a, well, not a little bit, I had gone through a crisis of faith where I was reanalyzing who I wanted to be, what I wanted to believe, um, taking some of the good things from even my high school years where I'd been involved in very, I guess, charismatic expressions of my faith and a lot of emotions and transcendentalism and trying to marry that with my, yeah, just with my artistic impulses, but also feeling sometimes emotionally burnt out. So at the point that I could foundationalize my faith on an intellectual level but also an emotional level and figure Mm. out that I wanted to actually follow Jesus and obey him and and live in repentance and belief it was a really cool time where I combined that faithful impulse and that desire to bring that forward with the cultural and literary loves that I had gained during my undergrad And then create a space for that could merge a lot of the work, the artistic work that I was seeing done in older generations, people that have been doing it for 20, 30 years, and then marry that with a aesthetic design and a edge, I would say, just a designing edge that I saw really resonating in my generation and in myself Mm. and the, the art and the work that I resonated with often didn't have much of a Christian creative core. So I wanted to merge those two worlds that I was dabbling in, both in the cultural scene and also the church and the Christian space and create a space for that. So I did that for as a passion project for four or five years. Uh, and out of nowhere, I got an email from uh, Tim Dalrymple, who's a CEO of Christianity Today, and he was interested in what I was doing. He'd been shown a magazine by a colleague of his who's Uh. been my champion the whole way. And when they realized it was mostly a one-man show, I I do have some volunteer help. I did back then, and now I have some paid help. But when they realized that it was mostly me doing it, they just asked if I'd like to do it under their banner and and help this next generation of creatives Mm. find a place to thrive and create. So been a wild journey. That whole process, I, I mean, the word for it that a lot of people use in, in our sphere is a deconstruction. I'm not sure how much I 
enjoy that word for what it is, but it, it can be a helpful process. But sometimes with this whole deconstruction, it, it's a tearing down of things that you know, we might have believed in the past and are starting to struggle with now. And what is my identity now? Do I agree with all of these things that I grew up in? Does this continue to work for me? What I think was really wonderful about what you just said too, was it it could be easy to take that time period and just continue to to take apart. But what is really cool is something came out of of that experience for you. And ecstasis, it wasn't just uh, deconstructing or a tearing down of, of past things, but also building up and creating new life and new things in which to take a stand and believe in. And I think that that's a, a unique experience that added to opportunity for you. It is not just in this young adult phase, which we all, we all have kind of gone through is, you know, I definitely don't believe this, but finding and creating new things to believe, to Mm -hmm. take a stand on and putting that new life into the world. Yeah, no, well put. And I think that it's funny for me because deconstruction as a term it's always been around, I'm sure. But yeah. in the way that it's talked about now, I is kind of at the rise when I was experiencing this. But it's interesting for me because I wouldn't fully call it a deconstruction time where I was just on a purely intellectual level taking things apart. But it really was a yeah. heart thing where I needed to figure out, do I, do I want to live in this not only because of what I've learned and what I feel like doesn't make sense. And that was part of it. But I think so much of the time, it really is kind of an emotional, I don't even want to (laughs) live the way that God has asked me to live. And Mm. so I think that that can be an undergirding core of a lot of that deconstruction struggle. But yeah, and I think because it was that heart posture away from God, when it's when the heart began to go back to God, I and Jesus, not just an ethereal God, but Jesus Christ, I really found that it was easy to start, quote unquote, building new things on an artistic level, because so much of the artist is based on the emotional, intuitive Mm -hmm. awareness of what's going on. And I don't fully consider myself an artist myself, but I love the curatorial process and editorial much more. And that's where I... Oh, that's an art itself too, Connor. So you are... (laughs) But anyways, yeah, as soon as kind of my heart was directed to those things, then it was just a natural outpouring of that. And it it was only later that I started thinking of myself as building things and, mm. and building the website and creating a magazine. It was all just so much fun for me. And, and I love connecting and, and creating community in any way possible. So I just got my friends together and said, hey, do you want to submit something? <laughs> hey, this musician that I love, do you want to be interviewed? And when that started gaining steam, then something started to be built. But it really was a natural heart outpouring that I had at the time. Yeah. It, and, you know, I don't think that it would happen if you didn't go through that entire process too. The opportunity sure. does sometimes come from having to take a step back and is this what I'm currently doing? Does that match my, my heart? Is my heart and my action, are those matching? Are, are those lining up together? And taking that time to reflect and see, all right, is what's working for me? Is it, is that working for me right now? And only then can you then 
start constructing or doing something new that is better lined up. But that that time where you are evaluating can often feel really disconcerting and uncomfortable and you can easily feel stuck in that time of once again deconstruction i don't know if that's the correct word but that's when you can feel stuck a lot of times Uh, during that process did you ever feel particularly stuck and if so what kind of helped you start creating those new opportunities and creating this new magazine anyway Mm -hmm. yeah it's funny because i remember and maybe this is a testament to me quote unquote being an artist but at that time i remember writing this poem about the fact that i just i felt ambition and i felt a a worldly ambition in myself to do something and to interestingly enough a lot of artists talk about leaving a legacy and how important that is and i that is a part of it for sure, but it, I just wanted to feel satisfied in my work and in my creation. And so I remember feeling that although I had the ambition, I did feel not sure which way to direct it and which uh, kind of, which outcropping I would find the space to be myself, I guess, and really pursue my calling because I didn't know what my calling was. So I've never felt a lack of direction per se because I I've always felt a lot of energy I just want to go out and connect and create in any way possible but I did need that time to reorient myself into Uh which direction I wanted to propel myself and I think community was so key in that and walking through it with my with my friends my church community a little bit I was figuring out where I was in that church community my family and my girlfriend at the time now my wife by the time I was dating her I had come to a lot of my own conclusions and and desires for where to orient my life but it was that really wrestling through it with friends and figuring out okay I have these inclinations and and desires and creative abilities and a little bit of an entrepreneurial mode, where do I direct that? And I think it was only through just the, um, the voices of others, I could start to see who I was myself. And then, and then, yeah, as soon as I did have an idea, I, I love, weirdly enough, I love applying for jobs. I loved going through (laughs) LinkedIn, finding the opportunities, tweaking my resume and just kind of blasting myself out to (laughs) to as many job opportunities as possible. And so that's how the ball started rolling in that direction. And we can get into that. Yeah. Community was key to getting unstuck. Yeah. You know, we can get into that. I'm I'm sure later, but but something that you said to me before and when we've chatted, you didn't necessarily like plan this whole thing out, but you just knew, okay, I'm just going to continue to keep creating the next thing. I'm just going to continue to do this. And over time, the continued practices and the repeatable actions, that's what has gotten you to where you are today, where Christianity today, it seems like out of nowhere, mm-hmm. uh, sends you a message, but it's, yeah. it's really not. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. And I, I trace it all back to, so in university, I was editing essays for my friends, just as kind of a very side business, like $10 a pop, you need some help editing your essay in the, in the boundaries of legality. I wasn't messing anything up, but anyway, yeah. So people would kind of send me their essays for a quick polish or just helping them orient their thoughts and their flow of ideas. And that was so fun for me. 
And it really was just something I could very practically and easily do. And I realized that, okay, I have a bit of a skill set here. And so that slowly transitioned from my fellow undergrads to editing people's doctorate of ministry, capstone projects. And then one professor gave me the opportunity to copy edit a book for her that was going to publication. And so it was that slow stacking of the stones where I recognized, okay, I really enjoyed doing this. And then I think the summer after I got home from Oxford, I truly had no idea what I was going to do that summer. And I'm recognizing, okay, I need to start getting a full-time job here. And so I had a pastor friend who I had just applied for the summer internship at his church. And I go to the interview and we start talking and I had never seen myself in pastoral ministry and he didn't either. And so he told me, (laughs) we have this magazine that the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, it's a youth magazine. We have been running it for a couple of years now. Our editors transitioning out. He had seen my editing. He had seen, I think I'd written a few pieces actually for that magazine, just as a favor. It was very low risk kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But he said that he could see me being a part-time editor for that magazine, that space had opened up. And so it was that very out of nowhere opportunity that I had been saying, okay, I'll go to this interview, even though I don't really feel like it, it would be a fit. But then he saw something in me that he called out and then gave me my first employment opportunity in this field that I was much more comfortable in. And then that set the opportunity for learning how a magazine runs and learning how to hit those deadlines and learning how to juggle so many different editorial and graphic design and layout concerns all at once. So that was pivotal to then refining those skills in ecstasis and then having that be eventually, because the first few issues of ecstasis were pretty poorly done in terms of I didn't know what I was doing I hadn't been trained I had I remember the first print issue ended up having a couple pixelated photos and just the layout wasn't great so it was at that point that I started using some of those skills from this love is moving magazine which is what it was called for young adults and applying it to ecstasis and then getting it to the place where it could be noticed as something established by someone out there in the ether that I didn't know personally Mm. Putting myself in your shoes, I think what would have maybe prevented me from getting to this point is when you're working like part-time or getting some of these opportunities to start practicing, it's not like you had arrived. I mean, I mean, really have you arrived today? Probably not, but you're much further yeah. along. Like this is your full-time job and everything. It could be discouraging to people and be like, oh, you know, I, I don't think I'll take that because it's not the ideal you have to do other stuff while you were building up these skills. What were some of the other things that you had to do before, you know, arriving to ecstasis full time? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It really was a juggling for a long time there where I was working a full, well, first it was doing my master's degree and then working that magazine job part-time while still running ecstasis purely for pleasure like I wasn't no money was exchanging hands and then moving from the master's degree I eventually got a job I got married and then I recognized okay I have to (laughs) I want to end up in the arts and culture employment world but there's no foreseeable way in there yet so I will get a 
full-time job at a nonprofit. I mean, it was a really beautiful nonprofit that helped deafblind people. And I worked in their communications department. And that was another great time of learning the ins and outs of more corporate expectations, more corporate workflow. And then also recognizing that that is incredibly important to have that nine to five, be able to go home, leave work at work, be able to invest in my wife and friends, and then have evenings and weekends occasionally to work on my passion project, Exasis. So it really was quite a juggling. And then there was a interesting, and I might not actually be answering your question, but basically I went from that nonprofit and we wanted to move back down more downtown Toronto in that area. And we were about an hour north, 45 minutes north. And so I, about two years in to being married, or maybe a year and a half, we decided to move to North York. And so I had to find a new job that was more local rather than in Newmarket where we originally were. And so I had just started about six months before I got the email from CT. I had just started in a financial startup Mm. job in their marketing department and it turned out to be just a crazy (laughs) wild ride of realizing my personality and work style was extremely different from all these economists (laughs) and it was a very cutthroat environment that I wasn't used to and so CT was a lifeline out of that and Mm. no shade to them they're doing great work I just wasn't cut out for it but that also taught me that there are people that have vastly different work styles and value systems in terms of what actually matters in your job, why you do what you do, how much more money can be a motivating factor than it was for me. So all that to say, it was a lot of, and I got to a breaking, not a breaking point, but in the, on the edge of a cliff, I'd say where Every weekend in the midst of working those jobs and doing a safe on the side, every weekend, I would feel this pressure to catch up on the stuff that I'd left lingering on Exasis and reply to the emails, get the print issue out, make sure that there was stuff going on the website. And so I almost felt more stressed out on weekends because I was trying to cram everything in, mm-hmm. but it really still was truly a self-imposed deadline that I was just doing because I was loving the community that was building out of ecstasis. But yeah, it it got to a point where it was slightly untenable emotionally, especially being newly married, where I was, okay, I obviously need to spend weekends hanging out with Hannah, but I still have all these like looming personal deadlines in my mind. So I don't think you can do it forever, but yeah, I told myself that I would do ecstasis for 10 years, probably on a lower level eventually so that I could have more of a life, work-life balance. But I gave myself 10 years to build this thing. If it went somewhere wonderful and if it didn't go anywhere, that's okay. I love doing it. And then it was at about probably the halfway mark of five years. That's when CT came in and I can now do it for full time. And weekends are completely free now (laughs) to invest in every other area of my life. Yeah, I like that setting like a 10 year sort of thing. I mean, and if it got to the point where it was what it was and you just did it for fun, like that's okay. And you don't have to necessarily meet the deadlines because the 10 year goal uh, yeah. didn't work out. But 
I mean, at least you're putting in everything you can. We're very similar, Connor. And just, I think that we both will just want to try things out <laughs> and say like, like what you were saying with like looking on LinkedIn at different jobs and like, Ooh, could I apply for that? Yeah. Could I, oh, yeah. could I fit into that role, into, into that world? And, and what would that look like? But I think that that um, is helpful especially as a creative to just try things on and some of it will stick. Some of it won't. I mean, I've learned different lessons from all sorts of different areas that I've worked, you know, from working at a coffee roaster to being a youth pastor or other things like that. And it sounds to me that very similarly, you learned and picked up pieces from all sorts of different areas. And it's really beautiful how it has kind of merged together and, and worked out in the way that it has. Yeah, it's been just a dream come true, honestly. At the point that I was working on Ecstasis as a passion project, I would have always said to someone who asked, what, what can you see this being? And I always said, I don't think it'll be anything, but if I could have a dream come true, it would be a bigger publication, buying it out, and I could do it just kind of full-time for them under their banner. And yeah, it was dabbling in so many different uh -huh. jobs for a while for like five years that I finally, and yeah, you just learned that you can't have, I didn't want to be the starving artist and that it's pretty easy. Okay. I should watch my words, but, <laughs> but yeah, I just was never inclined to just kind of give it my all in one category while neglecting the, the necessities yeah. of life. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that emotional capacity to slowly and enjoyably build something that you're proud of while still <laughs> paying your dues to the man, so to speak, hopefully not in too bad of a work environment, but just finding places that draw on your skill set in different ways until down the road, something can come together that can really be a sweet spot. And again, it's not, it won't happen for everyone. And I'm really treasuring this season for what it is. I have no idea what uh, the next five, 10 years look for, look like for me, but I'm treasuring it for what it is and thanking, <laughs> thanking the Lord for the opportunity. But mm -hmm. uh, even if you never end up full time in what you're doing as being the amalgamation of all these different desires, you still can have a very, I think, I think satisfying work life, yeah. even if it's not perfect. And when I was at the nonprofit, I felt very honored and challenged to be using my skill set for a purpose that now for CT, although it's very theoretical and conceptual and beautiful, having that community be built, my time with the nonprofit was very practical. It was very, mm -hmm. it was helping people in need in a very unique way. And so, yeah, I think different jobs provide different opportunities and to just be glad and grateful for whatever good you can do in the world through that one specific position. Mm -hmm. And even if it isn't, your full-time gig eventually if that never happens and doesn't doesn't work out doesn't mean that you're not getting to still do the thing that you want to do yeah and, sure. and if it is something that you wouldn't do unless it was your full-time well maybe it's not something that you're as passionate about as you might think yeah very true good point so, well, what are you excited about right now what are you learning about right now with ecstasis or just in your life Mm. I just got back from 
a trip to Colorado Springs, where we had our first semi-in-person ecstasis gathering after a different conference for arts and faith by the Anselm Society. So in that context, it was just really beautiful to finally see real relationships and real connections being that ecstasis hopefully paved the way for Mm. to a certain degree. And I think that's what has been so gratifying throughout is finding that like-mindedness in others that ecstasis has created this environment of like-minded people across a very diverse spectrum of politics and and idealism and just even countries and race and all that. And so it's they're not, we're not similar, quote unquote, from the outside, but being able to connect immediately through the pathway that arts and literature provide to the deeper things and deeper discussion, that has been so cool. And I think that that is my mission right now to keep creating that environment where people can connect on a deeper level and cross boundaries or build bridges in a way that wouldn't have otherwise been built. And in those conversations at these different gatherings, I've really seen this theme rise to the surface of the necessity of risk in the arts, but also in life and Mm. how tragedy and, and hardship is obviously so hard at the time. And it's so devastating, Mm. but it is such a conduit for opening up a vulnerability and vulnerability allows just the true tender relationship to come to the surface. And so Mm. in the same way in, in risk, I think that what could be lost and also what could be gained through doing something that might be out of the ordinary or might feel uncomfortable to us at the time is so important because it only through that can real breakthrough and real, the greatest pieces of art, the greatest books come from a place that are just so incredibly unique and risky and mm-hmm. um, uh, countercultural in many ways. Yeah. And so, yeah, those two themes of the generativity that comes through hardship and tragedy and vulnerability that comes from that mm-hmm. paired with the necessity of risk in both art and life to get to that higher plane of accomplishment and, and connection. Yeah. What a great lesson that risk though. I mean, nobody wants to necessarily take risk because it's going to be uncomfortable. I, I guess what, who are the risk takers and what are the factors that will help them take a risk that some other people might not? That's a great question that I won't have an immediate answer for. <laughs> Come on, Connor, <laughs> just answer it for me, right? You have the answers. Well, I mean, there, weirdly enough, this literary figure is coming to mind, Flannery O'Connor. She was a writer in the South. I'm going to get the dates wrong, but it was in the mid-1900s, I believe. And she has this quote, and I'm going to find it. When you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs that you do, you can relax and use more normal means of talking to it. When you have to assume that it does not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the hard of hearing, you shout. And for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. And I don't know fully how that weaves in, but I think she, in the context that she was in, where evidently racism abounded and there was this cultural understanding of faith that was disconnected to its real and core tenets. She wrote in a way that was quite shocking to the time and created characters that 
experienced great violence and great grace. And they were just very tumultuous stories that were uncommon for the time. And I think we live in a different time where we all around us, there is so much violence on an emotional and mental level and just so much suffering and woundedness that I think in North America, we really are, we really understand and I will talk about a lot, maybe a little too much in terms of just focusing on the pain and the suffering. Mm. And so I don't know, I'm just thinking that maybe the risk is being a countercultural presence of peace and a non-anxious presence yeah um, mm-hmm. an environment where it, it really is just so chaotic and so where she had to startle people out of their malaise i think it really is risky to be that long-suffering devoted to your craft devoted to your community mm-hmm. and being risky in kind of a subtle <laughs> and a relational way and I don't know if that makes sense, but no, it, I, it makes like, perfect sense yeah. to me. That is, I think that's great. I think that's amazing. I, I mean, it, it is so countercultural to be steady and to just sustain and to do things just for the sake of doing it instead of for a necessary result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I like that. that that's a really good reframe. Uh, mm-hmm. of risk because we would think it is much more shock and awe sort of yeah. thing all risk has to take that but it's really risky to be that non-anxious presence that person that is steady that just use and lives a simple life yeah. and is fine with whatever comes so well connor how would listeners connect with you and the work that you're doing over at ecstasis if they're interested in getting involved mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have a thriving Instagram presence. That's our kind of main bridge into the deeper essay and poetry experience. So you can find us on Instagram at ecstasis, uh, instagram.com slash ecstasis magazine. If you're using the web browser, which I'm looking at right now, that's why I said it, <laughs> but ecstasis magazine. And then ecstasismagazine.com for the more holistic and deeper experience of really kind of finding essays that resonate and just reading poetry. And then also, oh yeah, and then if you are interested in submitting and you consider yourself a writer or interested in writing, we love to get, we love to get submissions from especially first time writers. So whatever category you're in, you can email editor at ecstasismagazine.com and you'll hear back in one to three months. <laughs> Hopefully not that long, but it does. We have quite an influx of submissions right now. So that's great. Sure Good problem to have right there. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you as well. We just hope that you're encouraged that you'll take the risk and just continue to do the things that you're doing, being steady. And hopefully you have something that you're passionate enough about to just continue to do, whether it produces a certain result or not. I think that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. And there's plenty of opportunity there in just the the doing instead of the the result. So join us next time. We're going to continue to help you get unstuck so that you can start creating your future. 